Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We've been in a four-part series. Today is the fourth and final part about building a biblical worldview. Why is that so important? Why is that so important? Because either you're going to make decisions based upon internal convictions you have from the Bible, or you're going to give in to the pressure of the world that surrounds you. So either it will be internal biblical convictions, or it will be external. I was speaking to a lady last night who was 73 years old from Eunice, and we were talking about some of the subjects similar we're talking about today. And she said, you know, pastor, she said, I got canceled in Eunice, Louisiana. I said, do they even know what being canceled is in Eunice? She said, they do. She said, uh, I I was working at a place. I was a very trusted employee, very close to the owner. And she said, someone posted on Facebook something about, you know, you could live sexually any way you wanted, man, woman, for whatever. And she said, I posted a scripture. She said, the next day, my boss, who she said, I was like this with my boss, called me in and said, you have to take that down and you have to apologize or I have to fire you. Well, what is that when that happens? Either at that moment, pathetic. (laughs) Either you are going to live by biblical convictions that you have, that God made us, and he's the only one who has the right to decide what's right or wrong and true. Or you're going to cave into the pressures and temptations of the world around you. So I'm going to say some things, and I have to say this every three or four weeks, okay? If you're not living in sexual purity, you're in sin. Repent. If you're living with someone, repent. And people often say to me, you know, I hear this all the time, a pastor. I mean, but you know, we're just trying to work it out. I always ask one simple question. I said, let me ask you, I got two questions for you. Number one, do you not want the blessings of God? Or number two, are you ashamed to give them your last name? My job is not to be popular. My job is to speak for God and his word. And so, you know, people often get upset with me about that. And you know what I tell them? It's very simple. How many of you are familiar with UPS? Okay. What can Brown do for you? Like, Their job is to deliver a package to you. If you don't like the package, don't choke the UPS guy. (laughs) My job is to deliver to you God's word. Your job is to decide whether you want to live in chaos or you want to live in peace. If you want to walk under the blessing of God, which is like an umbrella that shields you and protects you and guards you throughout the storms of life, because storms come regardless of whether you believe this book or not. Remember, a worldview is the way that we see ourselves, one another, and everything that happens in our world. It's not just what we see, but it's also the way we see it. 
In this series, we've looked at three scenes so far. First, creation. The second part was redemption, Christ on the cross. Or creation, excuse me, the fall. And then last week, redemption. Today, we're going to look at the final scene, the new creation. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this? What happens when the world ends? You know, people always ask this question. It's pretty funny. That's like, do you, do you think this is the last generation? Do you? You're a pastor. Do you think this is the last generation? Because people have been saying that for years. Do you believe that? But look right here and listen carefully. It's your last generation. There's only one per person, child. So whether it's the last generation or not, it's, it's your last generation. It's your last generation. So what happens at the end of time? Okay, to put it in UL baseball terms, what happens when the game's over? What happens when all the players are taken off of the field? And let me share something with you to help you. Putin is not going to destroy the world. He got issues. I mean, imagine that. Your name is Putin. You have been beating, been beat up since first grade. What's your name? Putin. Ah, you, I mean, he got beat up at play time. He got beat up at lunchtime. He got, I mean, okay, he, you don't know this. If you were at least as old as me, you'd, before that, they went, oh, Gorbachev is going to destroy the world. And then before that, and you can go back leader after leader after leader was Fidel Castro was going to fire all of these different people. There is one person that would decide when all of this play is over and when all of this story ends and he's the one that began it and he's the only one that can decide when it ends. He's the only one. So now I want to answer that question. What happens when it's all over? Why is this so important? Because how it ends determines what you should be doing right now. It determines if you actually believe it ends the way that God says it ends, whether you live by these convictions inside. Do you know why I live by the truths of this word? I know you go, because you're a preacher and you wouldn't have a job if you did. No, they're doctors that smoke. They're dentists with bad teeth. (laughs) No, that's not true. The reason I live this way is because I was raised in a family environment that lived way over here. And I saw what life was like over here. And when I heard that life could be under God's direction, he has a plan and a purpose that he can live inside of you, that he can live through you and forgive your sin and bring power and strength and allow you to break generations of issues that were in your family. And everybody got generational issues. I don't care if you were ever raised in River Ranch or Northside. Everybody's got issues. Just different issues. Just different issues. So, I love what C.S. Lewis, many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. How many of you know who C.S. Lewis is? C.S. Lewis was an atheist. He was a literature professor at Oxford and Cambridge University, and he had a Christian friend that continued talking to him about faith. Does anybody know what his name was? J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. And he is the one that actually challenged him until one day, C.S. Lewis examined the claims of Christ himself and became a born-again Christian. 
and was transformed. And here's what C.S. Lewis said. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see the sun, because it's by the sun that I see everything else. Why is this so significant? Because the way you view it is the way you do it. The way you view life is the way that ultimately you're going to do life. In other words, Christianity helps me see things as they really, really are. The title of today's lesson is The Best is Yet to Come. Today we're going to begin at the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and then we're going to fast forward to the end, to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Let me begin by recapping what we've learned In the first message, we learned that God created everything and said, it is good good. and it was good. Actually, the last thing that he created was woman and he said it was very good. And all the men said, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, I'm trying to sow you a little seed for tonight. The second message, we learned about the fall of what went wrong. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the Garden of Eden was the first place where God walked with man, but it was also the first place where man walked away from God. And when Adam sinned, there was a major consequence for him and all of the human race. The Apostle Paul says this, that sin entered in the world through one man and death through sin. And to this very day, sin and death and destruction are the norm in the world. Can I tell you something that we forget? We were created to live forever. You know that song? I'm going to live forever. You were actually created to live. I did a funeral this week for someone 88 years old. Do you know people cried? How can you cry when a guy lived to be 88? Do you know why? Because innately in the heart of man, we know we were created to live forever. But something happened. What happened? Let's read the story. And the Lord God made man, Adam, and for his wife, he made them skins of garment and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. Do you know what happened? God put a tree in the middle of the garden and he told them not to eat of it. It was called the tree of the knowledge of Now, people have often asked me this question. Pastor, does God know everything? What's the answer to that? Well, then if God knows everything, why would he put a tree in the middle of the garden and call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then tell them not to eat of it? If he created it, then he knew they were going to eat of it. So why did he put it there? How many of you know that's a good question? How many of you would like the answer? come back next week and I'll share that with you now. (laughs) Do you know why? Because there is no love without choice. Do you know that right next to that tree was another tree that was called the tree of the tree of life? It was called the tree of life. In other words, not only could they have not eaten of this tree, they could have eaten of the tree of life and whoever ate of that tree made them live forever. So when God put Adam and Eve out of the garden, because once they ate of the tree, the first thing they realized is they were, they were naked. And so they started to hide and fear and guilt and shame came. 
And do you know what they covered themselves with? Does anybody know? Has anybody here ever touched a fig leaf? You know what it feels like? Sandpaper. Can you imagine a sandpaper bikini or thong? So they had sandpaper. Now remember, that's paint. That was before Boudreaux's was invented. Those of you, how many of you know when I say Boudreaux's what I'm talking about? How many of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Okay, it's Boudreaux's butt paste. It's what you put on children for rash. This was before that was ever invented. So when God saw them there like that, do you know what he did? He had to put them out of the garden because if he didn't put them out of the garden, then they'd eat of the tree of life and they'd live in their sinful fallen state forever. And so God did something. He killed animals. And do you know what he did with those animals? He killed them. He shed their blood and then gave Adam and Eve fur. Don't tell Peter that. The first person that killed animals was God. And he put fur on them because of the pain. Look at me. Look at me. It is painful to hide. It is painful to live with fear and guilt and shame controlling your life. You do need medication. You are filled with anxiety. You are depressed. You do need something to calm your nerves because God never created you to live in a state that was at enmity against him and others. And that's why people that do that need medication and drugs even to survive. It's true. We have a generation of kids that are hooked on weed. We do. Don't act like you'll never smoke a little weed. Okay, I know some of you know I don't do that. You usually eat brownies and gummies. I, I got it. Okay, but, 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 but do you know why? You talk to them, you go, why do you do that? It's to deal with guilt. It's to deal with anxiety. It's to deal with fear. Because a natural consequence of me living separated from God is fear and guilt and shame. We translate that into depression and anxiety. And those are the leading medical assessments today of an entire generation. They're guilty. They're guilty. And so man sinned and God covered man's nakedness. And then he put him out of the garden of Eden so that he wouldn't eat that tree of life and live forever. But, but there's hope. Before they were cast out of the garden, and God covered them in their nakedness. The Bible says this. It tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. When God killed those animals and shed their blood to cover, man, that was the first picture of what he would do to sacrifice his son and for him to shed his blood on the cross to forgive our sins. It was a picture of redemption because Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Romans 3.25 says this, God put forward his son Jesus as a sacrifice of, of what? Read out loud. Atonement by his blood. Do you know what atonement means? They're going to put it up on the screen. At one month. He did that so that we could come back and have a place of being one with God. 
Adam was driven away from the tree of life because he ate of the tree of life. I mean, excuse me, he was driven away because he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that he wouldn't eat of the tree of life. So why was it called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? How many of you have children? Come on, claim them. They're in the nursery. They got your name. They, okay. okay. Do, do, do you know, how many have ever looked at your children and said, don't go out and party? What did the rest of you tell them? It's kind of scary. Okay. How many of you don't get drunk? Okay, good. Now we're getting someplace, all right? Hey, don't run with bad people. Okay. Don't be sexually immoral. Okay. Well, why did you tell them that? Well, let me ask you a question. What if they looked at you and goes, Made daddy, you did that? <laughs> what are you going to say? <clears throat> well, that was when I was, you know, it was just, this is not about me. <laughs> Honey, dinner ready. <laughs> do, do you know why you don't want them to do that? Because you want them to know evil by definition and not by experience. The tree was there in the middle of the garden because God wanted man to know evil by definition without him experiencing fear and guilt and shame. Dr. Darius says it so well. Experience is the best teacher. It's just the most expensive one. Yeah, I, I, I would like you to live sexually pure and know that instead of giving part of your heart away all along your journey until you finally get to the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with and you give them what's left of your heart and try to get healed from the rest of it that you dropped off along the way. You know, for 25 years, I spoke on sexual purity to 2 million students in public schools. And, and in all of that hearing, I have probably heard no less than 10,000 one-on-one stories of when people lost their purity. From the molestations to the abuse. I've literally 10,000 stories in a 25-year period. Girls, guys, young, old, all of them. Look at me. I have never yet, not yet, heard once one of them come and go, you know, Pastor, I'm so glad I lost my virginity when I was in ninth grade. It was the highlight moment of my life. Matter of fact, I looked at my ninth grader and said, get it while you're young. Look at me. Never in 49 years. Do you know why? Because the one who made you knows how you were made. That's why he knows what's best for you. Just as a parent, you know what's best for your child. But the good news is that there was another tree. Not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of life. And whoever ate of it would live forever. And when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. He became cursed so you wouldn't have to. He took your place and he created another tree of life that you could go and meet him and come back into unity with God 
And that tree was the cross. John Stott, the theologian, said it like this. The essence of sin is that man substitute himself from God. I'll be like God. I'll do what I want. But the essence of salvation is that God substituted himself for man through Jesus. We are saved as born-again children of God from the penalty of sin. And ultimately, we're saved for the presence of God. And bondages are broken off of our life. Sins are forgiven. God's righteousness is given to us through Christ. And our relationship with God is restored. We have a new status. What's your new status? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... Say it loud. Say it loud. You know what our status is? I'm a new creation. I might look like the old guy you know, but the old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. The new has come. But you know what's amazing? When I become a new creation, I still live in the old creation, a fallen world. And even though I'm new, The world is still filled with sin and destruction. The world is not as God created it to be. There's still sin, sickness, setbacks, cancer, car wrecks, calamity, and all that is normal to this fallen world. And even on our best day, we still know the world is not right. How many of you talk to your TV? What? That's stupid. That's a man. That's a what? We don't even know what a bathroom is. We don't even know what a man is. We don't even know what a woman, we don't even know what trick. How many of you talk to your TV? Come on. What are the rest of you? Just so tired of it? You just, you, you don't even watch it? How many of you just got tired of watching it? Raise your hand. Which bathroom do you go into? Just a question. Although we are redeemed, the world around us is still fallen, and we know for a fact that it's not right. Something inside of us says it's still not right. Listen to what Paul says. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that one day is going to be revealed to us. For creation, that means the world, waits and eagerly longs for the revealing of... I don't stutter. I'm waiting... For the creation was subjected to futility through thorns and thistles accompanied with work and the pain of childbirth for women, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, when Adam and Eve fell, all of creation fell. The world's never been what God wanted it to be since the fall. And that, that anxiety you feel, that stress you feel when you look at things going on in the world and go, what are they thinking? This is not right. Why are they doing this? Why are they saying this? Why are people acting this way? This isn't right. That same thing that you feel as a new creation in Christ, as you look at a fallen world, is the same thing the world is doing. It's going, when will it be what God created it to be in the very beginning? All of creation. As a matter of fact, the Bible said during that time, the lamb is going to lay down with the lion. Apparently, there'll be no more hunting I'm trying to think about heaven without hunting. I haven't thought that through yet completely. But here's what we can look forward to as believers when we die. When we die. 
And then when we die, we know we're going to heaven. But sometimes I've not done a good job as a pastor telling you what happens after the world ends. Okay, after the world ends. Yes, I want you to go to heaven. Let me ask a question. Um, How many of you want to go to heaven? Where do the rest of you want to go? (laughs) Just ask it. How many of you are a member of the TV show Extreme Home Makeover? Remember when Ty would show up at your door? Okay, and, and this was before he had his lawn series and patio series, the Ty Pennington series. But all of us would hope, I mean, you, you know what happened to Extreme Home Makeover. How many of you wish that Ty would show up at your doorstep? How many of you he never did? Okay. So here's what would happen in Extreme Home Makeover. They would, someone would write and they would recommend some family, maybe someone had lost someone for cancer or a single mama who was struggling to raise three or four children, lost her husband or, you know, some kind of tragic event. And they would recommend this family. And then all of a sudden, Ty Pennington would show up along with Sears and a bunch of free stuff. And he would show up and he would say, Mary, you have been chosen. We've seen what's going on in your family. We know about the loss you've walked through. We know about the difficulties. And what we're going to do is we're going to send you to Sandestin, Florida for three weeks, you and your family, and you're going to live on the beach for three weeks. But don't get used to that because then you're going to come back. And when you come back, you're going to have a brand new home. And then they would leave. And then the show, okay, would go on and Ty Pennington would call everybody who knew at Sears and Bob Vila and everybody and they would come over and they would fix everything in the whole house and people were giving them all kinds of free stuff. I wish they would have given us the phone numbers to those people, but they are giving them all kinds of free stuff. And then three weeks later, the family comes back and what's in front of the house? A big bus. And it's a picture of the house as it was. Okay. And then they would say, all right, let's get ready. And everybody would start saying, Move that bus, move that bus. And all of a sudden they moved the bus and there was this brand new home. And then you walked in, it was new this and new that. And now handicapped stuff for the, the person. All of it. it was just amazing. Everybody cried. How many ever cried at one of them? Don't lie. God knows. Okay, I cried once. They had a Mexican on there. It was Hispanic month, just like this. And I cried. Okay. And, and so I, 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 I have. Can I tell you something? One day, one day, the bus is going to be pulled away and there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And those of us that are in heaven are going to be brought down from heaven right back here to earth. And the earth is going to be what God intended it to be. And you were a new creation, but now the world itself will be the garden of Eden all over again as God intended John, the revelator, tells us what that world would be like in the book of Revelation. John was 14 years old when he started following Jesus. Remember, when Jesus went to be crucified, all the disciples left him except one person. Who? John. John was there at the cross with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus was the oldest child, and on the cross, he looked down His responsibility was care for his mother. That's what the oldest son's responsibility was. And he looked down and he said, mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And from that day forward, John the Baptist took care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. He began preaching after Jesus rose from the dead and he was so powerful. They tried to kill him. 
They actually killed all of the other apostles. But they tried to first take him and boil him in oil. And when that, that didn't work, they were so scared of him that they exiled him to an isle called the island of Patmos. And there, it was there while he was praying, God gave him a vision and pictures of what would happen at the end of time. It's called the book of Revelation. And here is what he says will happen at the end of time with this new heaven and with this new earth. Number one, he says, there will be no more Satan. Hopefully you're not mad about that. Some of you are like, really? Okay, no more Satan. Say it with me, no more Satan. The devil called the ancient serpent was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were and they will be tormented day and night forever. Isn't it amazing that the devil that's been tormenting you with temptation and fear and anxiety and lust and hate and indifference and resentment, he is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and he will be tormented forever. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, the devil slithers in. In Revelations chapter 20, the serpent is cast out. Satan was disarmed at the cross, but he will be defeated and thrown into the pit in the end. So when Satan reminds you of your past, how many of you ever remind you of your past? You can't do that. You're not good enough. Everybody finds out who you are and they know what you really did. Then when he reminds you of your past, why don't you just remind him of his future? Revelations 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. That's this one. The second thing, it says there'd be no more sea. The sea was a place of chaos. It represented chaos and evil. In the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more disaster, no more deception, no more destruction, no more devastation, no more wars, no more battles, no more bloodshed, no more hatred. It will all be gone. Third, he says that there'll be no more separation from God. No more separation from God. He says, and I saw a holy city in New Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. They'll be their God. How many of you have ever wanted to be close to God? Come on. I want, to, I, want to, I want to practice a little exercise just a moment. Close your eyes a moment. I want you to think of the moment that you were closest to God in your whole life. You just felt, I remember that time. Okay, now look at me. That was one moment. Now I asked earlier, how many of you when you die you want to go to heaven? Okay, how many of you would like to go today? I asked that at a funeral this last week. How many of you would like to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand. I said, how many of you like to go today? One person on the left-hand side raised their hand. I think they didn't know what the question was. They just wanted to be sure that they weren't wrong. And, and you know what I said to them? Do you know why all of you didn't raise your hand like you did the first time? 
because you don't know how good the life to come really is. Do you know that science has finally caught up with the scripture? Yeah, it has. Science has finally caught up with this book. What do you mean, pastor? What happens when you die? And how can you know for sure? How many of you would like to know if you knew exactly what would happen when you die, you would like to know for sure? I'm going to tell you how you can know for absolute 100% sure. Go to YouTube and type in these words, Harvard neurologist dies and goes to heaven. And you will watch a Harvard neurologist, that's a brain surgeon, who died. He shows the graph of him being brain dead. And he begins to talk about what happened. And right after that, you'll get three other physicians. One was dead for 45 minutes, drowned in a kayak accident. There's three or four, all physicians, all died. And all of them talk about what happened when they died. And then you know what they told them? The moment came with each one of them where they said, you have to go. You have to go back. And you know what every one of them said? Yeah, I need to go back and have another six-pack. That last Bud Light I've been wanting to have. That last reefer, I just need that last toke. I want to go and be with Nikki the last time. You know what every one of them said? Let me tell you what they said, and I'll quote different ones of them. One of them said this, there's no experience I've ever had when I was alive that was as good as heaven being dead. You know why? Because there becomes no more separation from God. I didn't have a very good childhood. I don't know what yours was like. But I do remember this innately all my life. I wanted to be close to God. I wanted to be close to God. Even when I was doing stupid stuff. So ashamed I don't even want to tell you what it was. I can remember at night going, God, don't let me die this way. I, I, I want to be close to you. I don't want to be separated. Innately, I knew I was created to be in a relationship with God. So do you. In this new earth, God will dwell with us again, and there will be no more separation. Consequently, there will be no more sadness. No more sadness. Listen to what it says. He will wipe away every tear from and death shall be, that means no fear, no guilt, no shame. That means no hate, no lying, no abortion, no stealing, no betrayal, no abuse, no child abuse, no drug overdoses. Neither will there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For all the former things from this world will be passed away. I got the free songs. There will be no more crying because there won't be anything to cry about. 
There'll be no more back pain, brain tumors, cancer, drugs, overdoses, tragedies, divorce papers, no bankruptcy, no temptation to fight. Tim Keller, the author, says, everything that is sad will become untrue. Everything that's sad will become untrue. Number five, there'll be no more darkness. No more darkness. Every person here has a moment in your life where you are afraid of the dark. When I was in seventh grade, we had a guy in our football team. His name was Lurch. Every team had somebody named Lurch. I hadn't even gone into puberty. I didn't go into puberty till I was like 14 years old. And Lurch was a full grown man in sixth grade. He had grandchildren. He had hair. He had a beard. How many of you had one of those guys in your school? Like they're walking around the shower like this and you're walking. They're walking around the locker room, hair on their chest, everything. Look, look. So Lurch came to spend the night in my house one night, and seventh grade, and we were going to bed, and we got ready to go to bed, and I, I was feeling safe because Lurch was next to me. <laughs> got ready to turn off the light, he goes, hey, Jacob. And I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, would you mind leaving the light on? I said, why, Lurch? said, I'm afraid of the dark. We've all been afraid of the dark at one point or another in our life. All of us have. Listen to what it says. And I saw no temple, no church in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb of God. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb who said, I am the light of the world. We won't need a physical building to worship in because God will be our temple. We won't need the sun because God is there. We won't need some place to live in with light to turn on. Because the light of the world will be with us. And finally, there will be no more death. <laughs> Never have to go to another funeral. Never have to be afraid of that phone call. Never have to be afraid of that age. Come on, I don't care who you are. When I was young, like some of you here at the baseball team, I was bulletproof. I was going to live forever. I'm 64. I start counting. How many more hunting seasons do I have left? Start weighing out. When did your dad die? When did your grandparents die? When do you? There will be no more death. Listen to what God shows John and the angels showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing to the throne of God and to the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and also on the other side of the river, the tree of life. Hold it, this is the same tree we couldn't eat of in the garden. 
the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit for each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. In the Garden of Eden restored, all has been reversed. Eating from one tree brought the curse. And now we can eat of the tree of life and live forever. Why is this so significant, Pastor Jacob? Why, why are you telling us all of this? When I became a Christian, we didn't have all the cool stuff we have now. Like some of you know, like if, if you were, came from the Catholic church and you've never been in another church like ours or maybe an old Baptist church, you know, you see lights and you see cool things on the screen and LED screen. And like when I went to church, we had hymn books. I may remember that. Okay. And then when we got really cool, we got an overhead projector. Like you, you had it going on if you had an overhead projector. And the words were written, and sometimes it'd be like sideways, so you like worship like this, trying to read the song. And I would hear, this was almost 50 years ago, I would hear older Christians say this to me. Son, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. What, what do you mean, Sir? This is, world is not our home. We're just passing through. All of this is going to pass away. We're just, we're just passing through. So look at me, child of God. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. There is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming even after we go to heaven. And it's going to be what God intended and created from the very beginning. And God will redeem everything that was stolen away for you and me. That is the promise we have. Why is that so important? The greatest thing I do for my family is remain like this. I, I'm always amazed at, at college and professional sports, and I've been around it a lot. Y'all know I was chaplain for the Saints, coach for the LSU, all that LSU stuff, all that stuff. And I'm always amazed as it coaches that will look at players and go, keep your cool, stay calm. And then you make a mistake, their veins are sticking out about 14 feet. And they're And you go, no, wait, you're the person telling me to calm down? You're the person telling me to? So I think the greatest thing that I do for my family is remain just like this. And do you know how you remain just like this in a world where the stock market's falling, morals are falling, Biden is president? Look at me, don't, don't, Trump was president before him. Okay, I know you, Biden president, you're like, Trump. Still the same jacked up world. You can't blame that on a political party, although you need to vote right. You can't blame that on a political party. That's the sin nature of man. But when you build on the fact that nothing around here is eternal, it's all temporary, only this is, then when the world is doing this and this, you remain just like this. You remain just like this. Because 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will never pass away. It will bring to pass all of the things we talked about when all of this we see is gone away. When all of it's gone away. Right now in moments like this, you know why moments like this are so powerful? Because truth speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. For every born-again child of God, there is something innately inside of you going, that's true, that's right, yes. It is. Look at me, church. The greatest gift I could give to you is to teach you to build your life on this book and to love it and to read it and to live by it. Because if you do, when the world has come and gone, that which you built on will remain unwavering and unshaking. Yeah. person saying this to you has not had a perfect life. The person that's saying this to you hadn't had a perfect family, even my own family. But the person saying this to you has discovered when you stand on this, everything else is going to move, but that word is never going to change and it's never going to move. Father, today, we thank you. We thank you for the precious gift of your word. It's health to our flesh. It's life to our bones. It's truth that exposes every lie that we believed in. It uncovers the places that we hide at in our lives. And all of us have done it one time or another. But what it does is it makes very clear what was very cloudy. It brings light to areas of darkness. It shows us as we've grappled looking for the lock on the chain that we struggle with. It shows us where the lock is and where the key is. Today, I pray for the precious people that are here, those that are watching online, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give them your view from your word. And you would give them a deep hunger for your word that is the most prevailing thing in their lives. Because everything else will be shaken and pass away. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your whole life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, you wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Those are all great things. But what Jesus said is, in John 3, 3, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. What was he saying? Every person born since Adam and Eve has lived with the result of Adam and Eve eating of that tree. 
We have all been born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. Every one of us were born spiritually dead. And we can't come into one relationship with God until we surrender to him to be born again. How does that happen, Pastor? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Somebody will die for your sin. Either he did or you will. And see, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. The moment you do that, the old you dies and a new one is resurrected just as Jesus was resurrected. Have you been born again? It only happens once, just like the day you were born. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me today, Pastor? Today, that's what I want. I know it's what I need. I know God is talking to me. You've been speaking, but I've been hearing another voice. I know it's God talking to me. If that's you, if today you want to pray to be born again, remember it only happens once, just like the day you were born. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just raise it up real high and put it back down. And by doing that, you're simply saying, Pastor, pray for me. Today, I want to surrender to Christ. Today, I want to be born again. Today, I want to turn away from sin through repentance and turn completely to God. One, God brought you here. Nothing is ever an accident. Two, even the circumstances that led up to this week, the things you've wrestled with over the last few days, all of them was God speaking to you to bring you to this moment, to surrender, to be born again. And now if that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. Three, raise your hand high. Pastor, pray for me. Come on, you're just saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be, raise it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, anywhere else, twenty, twenty-one. You could put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these twenty-one, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know it. I didn't raise my hand because I was afraid, but I know it's what I need. If you've already raised your hand, don't raise it. But if you didn't and know you should have, raise it and wave it at me one second so I can see you. Okay, 22. Anywhere else? 23, 24, 25, 26. Okay, 27. All right. That church, let's join all of those that raise their hand. We're going to raise we're going to raise our voice with you and we're going to pray with you this prayer to be born again. We're all going to join you. Let's pray it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, in a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.